When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Need to Know, real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Welcome and hello. We are so energized that you have chosen to join us for our third episode of Need to Know with Coltart and Zabel. And I am, of course, the last part of that equation, Zabel. I'm here in Los Angeles right now where we've had a little rain of late, a little more tomorrow. And uh, that's good because we have a drought. Uh, The way we throw the logistics together for one of these things is Ross is actually 19 hours in my future. So how's that? Um, And it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, my time here on the West Coast. So I do the math this way. Three o'clock my time plus 12 hours would be 3 a.m. his time plus seven hours, which would make it 10 a.m., which means I get to say, g'day, mate. How you doing, Ross? G'day, Bryce. How are you, mate? And look, we just say down here in Australia, down under, we're always ahead of you, Yanks. Seriously. <laughs> I, <laughs> is that a pejorative? Should we should we call you Yanks? It's an affectionate term, isn't it? Um, I, I don't know. But. That's a really good question because I, I don't know the answer, but I would assume you, you would. You could be sneaking that past me right now, but I take it as a, as a good, good one. I like being a Yank. It's a good thing. So, Right now, Bryce, this is a very auspicious moment because there is a little pile of white paper sitting in the inbox on President Joe Biden's desk. And he hasn't got his fountain pen on it yet, but we're hoping he soon will. Maybe maybe as he tiptoes out of the carol singing in the foyer of the White House, he'll just sit down on his desk and he'll put his pin to the paper and sign the NDAA, the National Defence Appropriations Act, which will essentially put into law what we call the Gillibrand Amendment, uh, a momentous moment in ufology. Now, let's face it, Joe Biden has other things clearly on his mind these days, and he hasn't been very out front on the UAP issue. The one time of recent time that he was even asked about it, he kind of made a joke about it. But there it is in black and white in that NDAA, and and he can't really get around it. It's been passed by the House of Representatives. It's been passed by the U.S. Senate. Uh, All he has to do is sign it to be law, and for him to not sign it over UAP would only make the subject even bigger. So I think the odds are he's signing it. Just to reiterate for our listeners and viewers, this is big. This is momentous because what it's doing is putting into black and white law a requirement that the Pentagon, the military, the intelligence establishment of the United States make regular reports to the Congress, classified and unclassified, without holding back on what they know about the UAP issue, unidentified aerial phenomena, UFOs. It is gigantic. Don't you agree? Oh, it's it's 
huge. And in fact, as we near the end of 2021, uh, I would have uh, not too long ago said, well, the big story of 2021, of course, is that uh, there was a UFO report issued in June. And now I think it's the second story, as we talked about in our last episode. The big story uh, this year is this NDAA because it gives some teeth to this uh, investigation. It tells them to do it, and and it gives money to the process. But, but I, there's always and I, and I say but, my friend, I like to look at history. And forgive me, I'm going to be the glum, pessimistic one in our journalistic collaboration. I've looked at the history of Project Blue Book, which was the last UFO investigation by the US Air Force in the 1960s, which concluded in 1969, literally on the dot of 1970. And essentially the whole thing, as we now know, was a whitewash. And it, it, placed, it placed a requirement on the Air Force to report and to give the public an accounting of what they knew about the UFO phenomenon. The reality is, the public was snowed. How do we know, my friends? How do we know it's not going to happen again? <laughs> I have to beg to differ a little bit. I, I think you're right. I mean, it, there's always good reason to be skeptical and to uh, challenge the conventional wisdom. Here's one difference. Uh, project Blue Book was an Air Force project. So in other words, it was the Air Force uh, investigating UFOs back then of its own volition. It, it decided to do it, and then it decided not to do it. This is a little different. This is Congress the U.S. Congress, in one of the only bipartisan acts, uh, one of the few, there are a couple other this year, but one of the few bipartisan acts of, of 2021 uh, coming together to say, let's do this. The sponsor of the NDA amendment is Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York State, a Democrat, and Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, a Republican. And there are Republicans and Democrats on both sides of the aisle coming together to do it. So it has the force of law. Uh, it, and, and let's face it, the last time Congress told uh, the um, Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Defense Department to get something done about UAP, which was a year ago uh, this, this month, uh, they did it. And they issued it by the actual date that they were supposed to. And even though it wasn't the absolute greatest document that anybody's ever read on the topic, it basically confirmed the reality of UAP. So uh, I, I think. I think we have to hold their feet to the fire, but I have no doubt that the kind of talk that's coming from Gillibrand and Rubio and, and other senators like Mitt Romney and, and others um, is, is going to do exactly that. Can I give you one hint of optimism from down under, my friend? I, I've been talking occasionally to congressional staffers working for some of these Congress people that have been given secret briefings before the Congress sure. in, uh, in very secret hearings where they've been shown videos, they've been briefed on the contents of these very controversial U.S. Navy videos. They're excited. Yes. They're, 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 they're really keen for this to see the light of day. And one of the joys of our trade is Washington leaks. Right. You know, the, 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 belt, the beltway is a, a swamp, but it's also a swamp where people just cannot keep their mouths shut. They cannot. And I thought of one other thing we should mention here. It's the whole stigma issue. Um, the stigma surrounding UFOs and now UAP has, has always been a part of it, uh, but it was at a peak during the Project Blue Book time. So 
people in Congress were not coming out and saying, let's talk about UFOs. That was very, very rare because they were concerned they'd be laughed at. The difference is these days, uh, there are people in Congress who talk about it and they don't get voted out of Congress. They don't get censored for talking about UFOs or UAP. And many of them, uh, certainly the language from uh, Gillibrand and Rubio uh, has been, uh, listen, we want to know the answers to this situation because we're a little concerned about it. And the briefings really didn't get started until uh, a year or so ago. So uh, there's a few things in that, in that. And by the way, I thought Australians were supposed to be the optimists and as the American, I'm supposed to be the pessimist. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just balancing, mate. I'm just balancing. So look, yeah. let me, I, I still, you know, I, I sit in bed at night and read this legislation, this brand yes. amendment, because it's just mind blowing. You know, you've got the words unidentified aerial phenomena in writing in, in a piece writing. of legislation before the US Congress. Mind-blowing. But the key point I think you want to talk about most is that it requires that not later than October the 31st, yes. 2022, and annually until October 31st, yes. 2026, yeah. the Director of National Intelligence, in consultation with the Secretary of Defence, shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees a report on yep. unidentified aerial phenomena. Now, my friend, explain to our audience, why is well, that date significant? It is. Uh, it's very significant. I, I want to point out one thing. While uh, Russ has a book out in plain sight, I do most of my writing and investigating on a publication uh, called Trail of the Saucers over at Medium. And one of the things that I just wrote about that got a lot of traction this week is to take that date, October 31st, uh, 2022, which by the way is Halloween here. I, I again, I don't. Is Halloween a thing in uh, Australia? Do you guys do the trick? It's increasing. We we are increasingly being Americanized. My wife and I we fought a resistance for a while that we you know okay. we didn't we didn't want to give lollies to strange little kids, and sure. then after a while it broke our hearts because these beautiful little angels were turning up on our doorstep with buckets demanding lollies, and so uh, when we lived in Sydney, I don't anymore, uh, but. Um, when we lived in Sydney, we started giving lollies probably in the last few years. I, it's one, I of, the, it's one the, of the one of the nicer American habits that we. Uh, I live like. for the day, Ross, when I can show up on your doorstep with a bucket and demand lollies from you. That that will make me happy. <laughs> anyway, so October thirty first, which is Halloween here, um, is the date that that report is to be turned in. And what do we know from the last time there was a report demanded? Uh, One hundred and eighty days were given the the uh, the uh, office of the director of national intelligence to do a preliminary report when this previous legislation was passed last December. I got my calendar out 180 days later was June 25th of 2021. And that's exactly when that report came out. What do I take from that? Uh, the office of uh, the director of national intelligence takes its obligation seriously and actually did deliver a report and they waited until the last minute they followed the letter of the law. What does that mean? For me, it means that take that to the bank. October 31st of 2022, we are going to have some kind of report on our desks for you to look over. It, uh, there will be a public version, uh, which will be the non-classified version, as happened with the preliminary report. There will also be a classified version. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. We're going to be in the middle of what we call the midterm elections here in the United States. Um, this is where every single member 
435 of them of the House of Representatives are up for election. And one third of the senators, 34 of them this year, are up for re-election or election. And all uh, something like 39 of the, the governors around the, the country. In other words, this is a big election. Guess what the date of that election is? November the 8th of 2022. So you don't need to get out my calendar and count 180 days in the future. Count eight. Eight days after the UAP new report that is mandated by this legislation comes out, we are going to have an election. That means in that final crash toward electoral rejection or confirmation for either party, they're going to have UAP out there in the media being talked about. Depending on what's in that report, at least a few of them are going to be asked about it. For sure, you can say Gillibrand and Rubio and and um, uh, Romney and a bunch of others are going to be asked about it. But there's going to be town halls, both virtual and physical, happening across this country uh, during that final week. UAP, while not exactly going to be on the ballot, is going to be on people's minds. So I think it's a big deal. And do you think people will ask questions? Are we overcoming the stigma, Bryce? I'm not so sure we are. I mean, I'm, well, I'm quite depressed at the lack of mainstream media coverage for this NDAA. I think you'd be crazy not to be a little depressed about that. It's true. Uh, just to give you a historical reference, back in 1976, President J uh, J uh, Jimmy Carter, who was not president, ran against uh, Gerald Ford, who was president. Jimmy Carter had seen a UFO, and Gerald Ford in the 60s had called for congressional investigations into UFOs. And they had three debates, and not once in any of the three debates did it ever come up. Not once did any reporter ever ask them on the campaign trail about it. And the same thing prevailed in 1980 when Carter ran against Reagan, and Reagan had seen a UFO. So the the the, the journalists do not have a good record on this. That's absolutely true. And in 2020, I was pretty shocked to see that there were dozens and dozens of debates, it seemed like, of the Democratic candidates. And then there were the Trump and Biden debates, and it never came up again. So the difference this year, if there's going, next year rather, if there's going to be a difference, literally comes down to uh, the fact that there'll be a breaking news thing on their desks. I think also what we have to put into context here, as well as whatever the report's going to say in October next year, there's going to be quite a momentous series of revelations, I suspect. That's what my antenna are telling me. Right. Uh, you've got the UAPX expedition uh, hinting, well, not hinting, they're stating quite clearly that they've had a major breakthrough in their research. And they're a bunch of scientists, ex-military, ex-intel guys who with I think some private Silicon Valley funding went out with highly sophisticated cameras, uh, infrared cameras, high-speed cameras, and filmed off places like Catalina Island, where, for example, the uh, USS Nimitz sighting took place in 2004. And they're not saying what they've got, but by golly, they dropped a real clangor in one of their recent announcements, where they're basically indicating that they've they've found some they've found something that's suggestive of intelligent non-human life. Well, okay, so there's that, and that's we can't dismiss that. There is that. I think there's one other uh, thing at play, which is if you've had a preliminary report and now you're going to have an annual report, you sort of have to build on what came before. Well, what came before? In a preliminary report that some people wanted to dismiss as a nothing burger, I never did. I thought that there were key 
items of value in the seven pages of writing in that report. Uh, and this is what that I'm talking now about the June of 2021 report. It confirmed that UFOs basically, or UAP is basically real, physical, uh, doing maneuvers we can't do. It suggested that they were not made in America, and it pretty much stated that they weren't made by adversaries like China or Russia. So if you do the math, what, what, what is left? Something a little more exotic. So my question is, if you've already put that on the table, you're going to have to sort of add a little more meat to those bones, and you're going to potentially have to extend that argument because now you've had over a year and a half to continue your investigation. So there might be a shocker or two, probably because of the very thing you're talking about, which is not all of us are sitting around waiting for the government to do the job that they've sort of refused to do uh, for 75 years, which is to be honest and level with us. And we're doing it ourselves and we're pushing the government instead of the government being completely in control. I think we should talk about 2022 a little bit more, but I think we should come to the end of this segment. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. need to know. I'm Ross Coulthart from the land down under, and I'm joined by my journalistic collaborator and good mate, Bryce Zabel in Los Angeles, dusty Los Angeles. What is it about Los Angeles, Bryce, that you need a car to go everywhere? Uh, well, they built it that way since the 60s They've been and 50s. They've been building freeways, and uh, they, they, they really didn't give us a lot of alternatives. It's funny. I was just talking with people about that the other day, and uh, because young people have a harder time understanding that. They go, we got to get out of these cars. And, and so if you look around, there are more and more uh, mass transit opportunities starting to exert themselves, but it's not there yet. I had an opportunity a few years ago to interview Elon Musk uh, of SpaceX and Tesla. Sure. And one of the thing, one of the things he was talking about back then was the Boring Company, the idea of drilling tunnels under Los Angeles. And I guess I'm going to use that as a completely stupid segue into what I really want to talk about, which is the fact that we are at the moment in an era where we're talking about things that used to sound like science fiction tunnels under Los Angeles, high-speed tunnels under Los Angeles, reusable space vehicles, courtesy of Elon Musk. But also, we're talking about the words UAP in legislation before the US Congress. And I guess what I wanted to use this segment to talk about, my friend, is what I have a bee in my bonnet about. I've been looking at the wonderful response that we've had from our listeners and viewers. We've had, I think, uh, just over 10,000 responses, uh, viewers and listeners, and many, many responses coming in on our mail, our email system, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, mate, it's contact at need to know dot Today. I, so, today. So yeah. so literally that's, you can write us at contact at need to know dot today, or if people want to just see the site first, they can go to need to know dot today. Now I'm struck by the fact that in the literally tens of thousands of emails that I've received since my book was published and since my film was broadcast and, and in the other emails that have come in since we started this need to know podcast, I'm struck by the fact that there is 
a voice out there of people who've had sightings experiences that gets very frustrated with people like you and me because they they send in their reports they often send in videos photographs very descriptive accounts of what they've seen and i don't know about you but i'm not detracting from what these people say they saw i'm not saying they're fabricators or liars or anything like that and this goes for people as well with these alleged abduction experiences or my lab military abduction experiences i just don't know what to make of it and more importantly because it's not data or data 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 it, it it really doesn't help me or you in investigating the issue the reason why the USS Nimitz sightings kicked off the response that they've had, which has resulted, I think, in this legislation, this Jenna Brand legislation, is because they were utterly compelling. They were they were verified by multiple sensor systems, multiple witnesses. And there are only a few of those kind of instances in the world, really. There's the Phoenix incident in America. There's uh, the Westall incident uh, here in Australia in 1966. There's the Rua Zimbabwe story of the little school kids that saw a craft allegedly land in the school grounds. And I'm vexed, mate, because I just don't know how to deal with, as, a, as an investigator, I don't know how to deal with sightings reports. Should we even be engaging with them? Are they useful data? I think they're, well, they are useful. Whether they are data is, is another matter. Um, our friend Lou Elizondo uh, has exhibited a certain frustration uh, f- for the far end of that, the abduction phenomenon, because he says, what am I to do with this? I, I don't know whether that's, it's not data. I can't, I can't do anything with it. So I get the frustration. I would say this, uh, I think we have to factor it all in it, because if, if the sensor data, if you will, from 2000 on has gotten so good that it's compelled us to be writing legislation about it, then we are admitting to ourselves now that some of these UAP are authentic, they're not made by us, and we need to take a deeper look. And if that's the case, then we have to also assume some of these sightings are exactly what they look like. We don't know why they're happening, uh, but the, but they, they could be clear. And I will say uh, the abduction thing is a whole different thing and, and is kind of a uh, Hello to the third part of this. Uh, We're going to be talking about abductions a little bit more. Um, I I think the biggest problem we have is, is you got to take a lot of things into consideration. A lot of things seem to either conflict with each other or just do what you stated, which is for someone who's looking for a data driven approach, they make it very difficult. But I have to tell you, um, I come at this from a two, dif- two different points of view. I am a journalist, of course, uh, by training, and I, I certainly come at it from that point of view. And, and quite often, uh, you have witnesses to a crime that can put somebody in jail, and they don't have data surrounding that, they, but they go to jail anyway because there's good witnesses. Um, and I also look at it as a dramatist because I've had that opportunity. And, and certainly the drama behind abductions and sightings is unquestionable. Uh, So I I would just wrap this up by saying in answer to your question about sightings in general, some sightings are better than others. Um, Some are more equal than others. A multiple sighting uh, with clarity um, that is sustained, that has some other kind of uh, like a photographic piece or something, or just many, many people seeing it, that's good. Now, do we have data, for example, on the Phoenix Lights case from uh, the late 90s in uh, in Phoenix? We don't have a lot of data. 
but we have a lot of witnesses. Are all these witnesses crazy? I don't think so. So that's, it's, it's a little confusing. And, and for our, for our listener out there, listen, uh, we, we, we hear you loud and clear. This is confusing stuff. So I don't want to discourage people from sending us sightings data, sightings reports. But what I want to hold a discussion about is what can we do? What information can we solicit and collect in order to develop a, a more clear understanding of this phenomenon? Sure. Okay, the, the, there's a couple that come to mind. I'm really interested in Robert Hastings' wonderful book, UFOs and Nukes. And when I introduced, sorry, when I interviewed Robert, uh, a year or so ago, I was really struck by the fact that he told me about sightings reports of incidents that occurred over almost every single sure. ICBM silo and almost every single nuclear facility around the United States. And I was thinking, nobody's ever really done. I love those New York Times interactive reports where you can scroll over a mm. map and see what's happened where. And they do a lot of stuff like you can drill down to a suburb and you can actually see the number of assaults or murders in your suburb. And politicians hate it because it's basically, you know, putting them on the spot. In Australia, they've tried to gag the release of that kind of information. One of the things I got into once was asking hospitals for their mortality and morbidity rates for cardiac surgery. And I wanted to do a chart that showed who was the the best cardiac surgeon in terms of mortality outcomes in Australia. Mm. And oh my God, the medical establishment fought me like, um, I think in Australia that we would use the expression blue-assed flies. They really <laughs> gave us a, they, they gave us a hard time and basically I was resisted at every step. But uh, eventually on their own bat, because they realised it was inevitable, they started releasing this data. So I'm just wondering, isn't there a data source already available that we just need to start engaging with intelligently. There's so much information. There's a, a vast plethora of material in Project Blue Book that I don't think has ever been digitized. Correct. And, and wouldn't it be great if rather than having all these disparate data sets in places like MUFON or UFORC or whichever organization you're talking about, imagine if you could merge all those data sets and so there was one central digitized location where somebody can literally type in, I don't know, Greensburg, Connecticut, if there is such a place, and, and basically say, this is what's happened in your area. And I, I think for a lot of people, the subject of UAPs is personal. They want to know, have there been sightings in my area? Sure. And it's a great way of initiating public interest in the subject matter. Um, uh, just an idea, but I put it out there. I'd love to hear what data sets the public think we should be looking at? We Well, we should be looking at those data sets. Two, two thoughts here. Uh, the historical ones are going to be harder to come by. They do exist in Blue Book. We have to figure out how to co code them together. And people are already working on that. There are people I'm aware of who are pouring over that. Um, the other thing is we're clearly establishing our own better data sets now going forward. Uh, since the age of sensors, let's just call that from the 2000 on, uh, we're getting better data and we are basically having Congress tell the Department of Defense and the intelligence agencies, start sharing your data folks and start reporting it back to us. So that's all good. Uh, because we wanna also speak though to, to people who may see things and want to participate in this here. This will seem very 
silly on its on its face, but I don't think it is. Uh, lots of people see things, and the irony is when they're videoing anything, uh, the camera is shaking and they're not following it really well. But the other thing they're doing is they're saying the F word every five seconds, and they just repeat that to everyone around them. And I just want to encourage people, not that there's anything wrong with being astonished and resorting to profanity in the face of the mysterious, but the best thing people could do if they see something and they're recording something is to talk about the weather, talk about where they are, talk about what direction they're looking, talk about who they're with, uh, talk about their contact information, put it all onto that piece of video and in real time so that it represents better data. Don't, don't have people have to fill it in through interviews done after the fact. And so I'm tired of looking at videos that are just strings of expletives because that is not helping as much as simply telling us I was looking South Southwest. It was this day. It was this hour. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I know. And the other thing I've realized as an Australian is you Americans don't swear or utter profanities anywhere near as much as we do. I, I, I'm, You're better. I, 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 I've, I've been told off for swearing on broad, on broadcasts, podcasts and radio shows in your country. And I've, I've had to learn to not be a potty mouth, as we say here in Australia. I've, I've had to restrain myself. Um, look, the um, I, I, I think what's going to what's going to eventually become clear in the next few months. I, I'm getting inklings, my friend, from journalist friends of mine, that there's going to begin an intense investigation of this subject matter by mainstream media. And one of the things that I think will be a breakthrough in this is one of the key requirements in the Gillibrand Amendment is that there be consultation with America's allies. And we are one of your closest allies here in Australia, and yep. there's also the UK and Canada and New Zealand. And I've received messages from people all over the world who, including people in governments, who are listening to our show, they're reading my book, they're watching the film, and they want to engage. Yes. The, thing that really, the thing that really strikes me about all of this is there is a kind of a weird view out there in mainstream media that I think is still the dominant view that, okay, maybe UFOs aren't quite as much of a subject for ridicule as they used to be, but, you know, where do we go with this? Let's just wait and see. Let's see whether this right. all fizzles out in Congress. You know, um, this, there's been stuff like this before. Nothing's ever come of it. I, I think we're on the cusp of a big change here. I'm getting serious journos, really good journalists, good investigators. And also I had the very first call the other day from somebody in a government department communications advisory role. He was a journo friend of mine and he, um, he said, Roscoe, I see you've written a book on UFOs. We're starting to get calls in the minister's office about this what should I read? And I said, well, of course you've got to, you've got to read in plain sight. Yeah. I, I, I recommended your, uh, I recommended <laughs> That's a softball the in the business. Yeah. <laughs> I recommended you're on the trail of the sources, but I think yeah. there's a change coming. And yeah. I think 2022 is 
the beginning. You know, a uh, couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, I love how you call journalists journos in uh, Australia. <laughs> and I'm going to start doing that too. But every time I've sort of put it in writing, uh, somebody corrects me as if it's a typo. So that'll take oh. some change. Um, listen, um, yes, we need a lot of change. Uh, there's uh, NBC is the bi- one of the big three networks here, if you will, big four networks here in the United States. And they have a journalist named Gotti Schwartz. Who actually oh, I, loved, to, I yeah. loved his piece, by the way. Okay. He's well, Gotti, well hang on a second. Gotti is a, is a good guy and he seems to understand it. And one of the things we want to do with Need to Know is encourage good journalism, hold bad journalism's feet to the fire, and, and, and sort of encourage a coming together on this to journalistically do what we know reporters can do. So I'm watching Gotti Schwartz. This is like three days ago. Uh, he is talking to the folks on the Today Show, I believe, and he's talking about the NDAA and what does the piece have in it? The freaking X-Files again with the X-Files music. Folks, are we not past this? Are we not past anchors making wink, wink, titter, titter, little green men jokes and playing X-Files music? Now, I have to believe in Gotti Schwartz, left to his own devices, would never do that. So clearly, I think some producer said, we got some great X-Files clips, stick those in there. I'm tired of looking at them. Those same clips then got put in a tweet that uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand amplified. It's just terrible. But I will say this. I call it a cosmic Watergate uh, is what we're up against. Um, That's not a term that I've innovated by myself. Stanton Friedman, of course, famously called it that. And he was right. He was, I, I, I look at it slightly differently than the way Stanton used it. For me, Watergate was a time when uh, journalism was breaking big stories and people were literally responding to those stories by trying to do the work themselves. We are in for a time of competition. You and I hope to, we'll, I, I assume we will break a story or two ourselves, and I know you'll do so independently, and I know other journalists will. That's what's going to do it. Once other journalists get brought into the fight, baby, watch out. Then the, the, the fur is going to fly, as they say. Okay, so let's... Pause for now and come back with our predictions for 2022 in just a moment on Need to Know. Hello there and welcome back to Need to Know, the UAP phenomenon podcast with Coulthard, Ross Coulthard from Australia and Bryce Zabel from Los Angeles, California. So, Here we are, Bryce, we're in the run-up to Christmas, and what we're doing is bringing out, polishing our crystal balls and trying to get an idea of what we think might happen in 2022. And I'm struck by the fact that you are one of the resident experts on an incident that took place 60 years ago, the Betty and Barney Hill story. Tell me more. Oh, well, there's some breaking news we can break here today, uh, which I'll get to in just a second. Yeah, I do. I kind of have an obsession about the Betty and Barney case. And for a couple of reasons, um, as a journalist, I've always found it to be a, a profoundly interesting case because there were things to actually study about it. And it, it received uh, a, a lot of attention. And as a dramatist, I wrote Betty and Barney, for example, into the pilot of the NBC Dark Skies uh, Hour drama that I created. Um, I get to be quick. I, do you, do yeah. you believe them? 
are they telling the truth? Well, now you're cutting to the the chase uh, pretty fast, my friend. Uh, let me put it this way. It's a very good case, and I'll answer that question in a second. Just to bring our listener and listeners up to uh, speed here, Betty and Barney, uh, an interracial couple in 1961, coming back through the White Mountains of New Hampshire from a delayed honeymoon, experienced what they thought was a close encounter with a UFO. And when they got back home, they began to have other memories, etc. And they were the first people to ever claim that they had been abducted by aliens, at least the first Americans. All right. And so theirs is a story of first. Okay. Uh, first to be abducted. First to basically uh, submit to uh, past life reg- regressive hypnotism, uh, which allowed them to tell their story. Um, and, and so this is what is so compelling about their story. Now, I don't want to talk all about Betty and Barney. I could go on for hours about it. I do think it's a great case, and I'll tell you why. It's a great case, even though it doesn't have the, all the data that you would want around it, because back when Betty and Barney claimed this happened to them, uh, nobody else was claiming it. So in other words, they weren't reading the newspapers. They weren't watching an episode of Ancient Aliens or anything of the sort, and then saying, hey, let's make something up about it. So they were the first people also to describe the grays. Uh, so there's just a lot of firsts that they put into their story. Some of our listeners may not know what a gray is. What do you mean a gray? Well, grays, uh, as you point out in your own book, uh, are sort of the, they win the popularity contest of supposed alien life forms visiting the earth. These are the the ones often described by not only abductees, but, uh, but, but just you know, in the, in the literature, uh, short three to four to five feet, uh, grayish, uh, large heads. And of course those big black, deep almond eyes. So that's what they, they described several kinds, but they did also describe the grays. And that seems to be the popular choice these days. One thing I wanted to ask you about the Betty and Bunny Hill case is was there ever any independent verification of anything that they said? I'm not saying it's all nonsense, but right. I've got to be the skeptic here. You know, uh, w- what kind of investigation was done to try to uh, independently corroborate what they said? Well, that is where we come in, Ross, with our little piece of breaking news. Um, you're an investigative reporter. You've won awards for it. In my previous lifetime, uh, I started as a news person here in Los Angeles, won a few awards myself for investigative reporting. And uh, I think one of the things we're going to be doing on this uh podcast need to know is what uh, you and I like to call hidden history. That is, go back to some of the cases that have received a lot of attention and till the soil a little bit, kick it around, knock some of the rocks over, see if anything's under them. Find out if the story has become calcified with the years with factual inaccuracies or whether it does actually stand up. So I've done that with Betty and Barney because frankly, um, I've been trying to sell their story as a limited series in television. Um, so I did a lot of digging and what I came to realize is there's a person's name I want to introduce the audience to that they don't hear about. They've all heard about Betty and Barney and they, most people think that the, uh, the Betty and Barney case became famous because a book, the interrupted journey was written in 1966 by a man named John Fuller. And then it became a movie of the week in 1975. That's not the name I want people to remember. I want people to remember John Luttrell Sr. 
He is the investigative reporter for the Boston Traveler newspaper who broke the Betty and Barney story an entire year before that book ever came out. He wrote a five-part series about it, and he did it the old-fashioned way, just like you do it, uh, Ross. He started making phone calls. He tracked things down. He went to witnesses. He cross-referenced things. He found reports. He got people to trust him, to give him information. And John Luttrell has been sort of slandered over the years because no one has given him any credit for it. They've all acted like it started with that book, but it didn't. And what's happened over the years is two, uh, I would call them misrepresentations. I don't want to call them lies. They're just misrepresentations have occurred. People have said Betty and Parney were not public with their story. And then the story was leaked by the Boston Traveler. It's on a sign in New Hampshire by the roadside. Okay. That's how official it has been. They're both wrong. Betty and Barney were actually fairly public uh, given the givens with their story prior to it, which is why uh, John Luttrell Sr. found the story. And, um, and, and beyond that, th- they literally gave him the opportunity to find it. And, he reported it. He didn't leak it. As you well know, newspapers and, and uh, journalistic efforts don't leak information. Information is leaked to them and they report it. So that sign is out there. Here's the part that just makes me smile because it shows sometimes you win one. Uh, I had written this article about it. It's in the medium publication. And I sent it to the people in New Hampshire who run the road sign and said, I think you've got a mistake or two on your road sign and, and I think you should fix it. And I just got an email this week from the uh, New Hampshire road people saying, we agree with you. The sign is inaccurate and we're going to take that one down and put a new one up. So fantastic. There you who, go. Who, who said journalism doesn't achieve results? Goodness me. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a great one. It makes me smile. Uh, and, and, but, but more than that, I think the reason it's a good story for us, it's, it's a story about a guy who just said, look, this seems like an impossible story, but I'm going to reserve judgment on it until I've gotten some of the facts. So that's exactly what he did, which takes us back to this is an abduction case. I don't think we want need to know to turn into any kind of uh, public forum on just abductions because they are the things hardest to prove, right? Um but you can't ignore them. Lots of people report them. So uh, I think we have to apply journalistic standards to them just like uh, we would anything else. But the message I take away from your Betty and Barney Hill story is that ultimately good journalism, good plotting footwork by a journo uncovered something that has intrigued for the past 60 years. Next yes. Year. Yeah. And, and I've, what I think is so incredible is um, just two months ago, September 21st was the 60th anniversary. So this is a story that has stood the test of time. But what I've noticed over the years, because I've watched, you know, all the reporting on some of the the cable channels, et cetera, and some of the shows is people keep repeating the same facts to each other and then they get amplified and locked in. And that was happening with their case, which is why I did a deep dive and just said, if I'm going to write about these people, I think uh, they deserve my best efforts at trying to figure out what really happened to them. It's a bit like with the Westall case here in Australia. Yes. There was a, a rumour that I won't repeat on the podcast, but there was a rumour about, about one particular witness that had never gone away and it was being circulated amongst different research groups here in Australia. And um, it was 
a conspiracy rumor. You know, it, it, it amplified the, the story greatly. This was an incident that took place at a school in April 1966 involving hundreds of kids allegedly seeing flying saucers hovering over overhead, three lenticular metallic discs. Right. And there were a number of kids that went into the bush adjacent to the school, a forest adjacent to the school called the Grange. And there was a rumour that wouldn't go away about one of those children being taken away to hospital and uh, all sorts of sinister things having happened to her and her family. And not to detract from the significance of the story, I was able to put that rumour to rest in a recent interview with the woman. And uh, it was great because what it did, in fact, was re-intensify public interest on the issue, as I do hope the Betty and Barney Hill stories sure. that you've written will do. One of the reasons the Betty and Barney case is so special is they were the first people to go through hypnosis, as I told you. And those tapes are just freaking riveting. And they weren't making, you know... If they were making it up, they weren't making it up because they'd watched an episode the night before. They, this was, these people are traumatized. They are describing roughly the same events. They're shocking. They're powerful. They're emotional. They're compelling. And that is why they went into the history books and why we're still talking about them 60 years later. And, and, and that's why I would never discount the abduction stories uh, that right. I've just finished reading John Mack's uh, bio, the biography of John Mack, the uh, Harvard professor who yeah. investigated, I guess that it investigated abductions. And I really commend to anyone um, Ralph Blumenthal's wonderful book on John Mack because Mack was vilified for investigating oh. abductions phenomenon. You know, he was, he was basically the Harvard's sort of old guard tried to throw him out and it was only for the efforts of a concerted group of friends and associates, including the attorney, Dan Sheehan, that he was able to protect his tenure there. So, so the after you read is, that, what did you come to believe about abductions? Do you think that they're authentic? Oh, look, I don't know. I don't I mean, know I, either. I genuinely don't know. I, it's a mystery. But, but I'm not going to say those people are fabricators or liars. What I keep on coming back to is... Data, data. Yes. I, I, I yeah. keep on coming back to the fact that we now know from the leaked slides, the leaked PowerPoint slides that we used by the UAP task force in a briefing to the Under Secretary of Defence, that there was a, a description given of a phenomenon in one slide that's become apocryphally known as slide nine, a phenomenon that is capable of manipulating human perception and consciousness. That, that's the issue to me, that, that I still can't put a finger on what the abduction phenomenon is because it's impossible to define and understand. But I'm excited about 2022 yes. because one of the issues that won't go away is the constant reference to recovered non-human technology. Lou Elizondo keeps on saying it. Mm -hmm. Even Chris Mellon's hinted at it. Eric Davis, the renowned astrophysicist, has repeatedly asserted that there are recovered craft vehicles. So I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that in 2022, especially since it's, I think, the anniversary, is it, of Roswell, the it's very the, famous uh, crash? This, it, listen, as you well know, media love a good anniversary hook for a story. And if crash wreckage is out there being uh, rumbled through by various journalism outfits, 
the fact that it will be the 75th anniversary uh, will be a big deal and there'll be a lot of reporting about it. So the question is, will those reports simply be regurgitations of what we've heard before or will they try to break new ground on the wreckage issue? So add to that that you have a renowned Stanford professor, Gary Nolan, who's just Mm -hmm. recently gone public with the fact that he was retained. And again, you know, this is the other thing, Bryce, that just blows my stack, the fact that you can have a professor of Gary Nolan's reputation, high reputation. I mean, the guy is, you know, he's borderline Nobel Prize material for some of the work he's done. And he has admitted publicly in a recent interview that he was retained by the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, to analyse people who had allegedly suffered effects from UAPs. And and concurrent with that research, he's also been looking at what are called metamaterials, recovered metals ostensibly taken from crashed or or in some way incapacitated craft. I mean, it's mind-blowing. 2022 could be a big year. Yeah, let me just, uh, I know we're going to wrap up these predictions and get on, shuffle on out here, but let me just ask you this. Um, If crash wreckage is a big journalism uh, piece of 2022 and anybody actually comes up with a crash wreckage piece that has authenticity. Isn't that game over? I mean, doesn't that just usher in the floodgates of all kinds of things? If you actually get a journalistic interest in crash wreckage. Well, look, I've always said I won't believe anything about retrieved spacecraft, alien spacecraft, until I can literally kick the tires in the cave and in in Area 51. It's such a mind-blowing allegation. But I have spoken. I mean, I I interviewed Nat Kovitz from the Navy, the former head of science technology development, who told me that he was briefed into a program of retrieved alien spacecraft. Now, we have, in the face of that, a categorical denial from the President of the United States, Obama's science advisor in 2011. So are we going to get an answer in 2022? I think we may get the results of the metamaterials analysis. We may learn something about retrieved material from alleged non-human craft, which is stunning. I agree with you. I think uh, we can leave... uh leave you folks thinking about that. I, I would just ask us, why don't we, um, as long as we're making predictions for 2022, let's go out on just a, a, a little bit about what we hope to achieve here uh, with need to know in 2022. For myself, I'm kind of looking at this as a place where, you know, as we work our way through here and there's more time for us to talk and things to collaborate on that, that there's a sense that we're at the forefront of, of pushing these boundaries, because I think both of us uh, feel like I want to know, I, I don't want, I don't want this life to end without knowing a little bit more than I know now. And we want to help people uh, achieve that. And so until then, from myself here in Australia and the land down under, I bid you adieu. And from Bryce Zabel in Los Angeles, California, I'm sure he does the same. Merry Christmas and impending Happy New Year from Need to Know. Happy New Year. Need to know more? Email us. The address is contact at needtoknow.today. That's contact at needtoknow.today. 
We'll be back next time because you need to know.